Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast, featuring compelling interviews with big-hearted people in the Oklahoma City metro area who are leading, creating, and innovating on purpose. Get inspired by conversations with passionate difference makers from our local community. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. On today's episode, we sit down with Brandy Sitz, an artist, teacher, and gifted administrator with a passion for empowering children to find their voice and make a difference. And now, the Live Your Purpose podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Live Your Purpose podcast. I'm here today with Brandy Sitz, who taught visual art for 12 years in public school, was the 2017 Oklahoma Secondary Art Educator of the Year, and is currently a curriculum coordinator for fine arts and gifted education. She has a Bachelor of Art Education and a Master of Secondary Education with emphasis in gifted, creative, and talented education. One of her professional goals is to develop programs and services to empower children to find their voice and make an impact in their worlds. In her current profession, this desire manifests through leading professional development for art educators and gifted specialists who then reach their hundreds of students. Welcome to the show, Brandy. Thanks for having me. It's so great to finally meet in person and to be here in your office on location at the Putnam City Administration Building, right? Thank you, yeah. Yeah, and you've got a lot of work going this time of year. We do, We've, we're right in the swing of things. Concerts are moving on. Um, we're identifying our new students for gifted, getting all their services out. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's good. So job security, right? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, you may know we start each episode off with a kickoff question and you've picked yours. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you ready for that? Yes. All right. And then we'll just see where the conversation takes us. When did you know that you wanted to be doing what you're doing today? I knew I wanted to be doing this job two and a half years ago, the day I applied. (laughs) Before that, uh, when I was a visual arts teacher, I decided I wanted to be an art teacher in high school. Um, I had a phenomenal high high school art teacher, April Williams at Midwest City, and I couldn't imagine doing anything else than watching her work with us and help us discover new things about ourselves. So I spent quite a few years in the classroom. Um, I worked my way through all different grade levels. I taught every grade level except for seventh grade. and I finished out my career teaching high school where I had advanced placement for 3D where we did actual metalsmithing. And it was so inspiring to give those materials to the students and watch them flourish. Um, decided I would go back and further my education. Went to UCO uh, where I also had, had my bachelor, done my bachelor's degree. and. Um, They currently didn't offer an arts master's, so I thought I'll do secondary. I teach secondary. Come to find out that's one of the hardest programs. Um, And I took a couple electives in gifted education and realized that gifted and talented and the arts overlapped so much um, and explained so many things about the world around us and how our brains work and about my students that I'd had throughout the years. Um, And then this position came open where I could work in both gifted and fine arts at the same time. Um, and I jumped on it. Wow. So you just happened to have the degree that would 
help to you to qualify for this position. Yeah, I happen to have a, a foot in both worlds. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting, that, that intersectionality between art and giftedness or gifted education. What are some of those uh, crossovers that, that you noticed um, as you were in school, as you were getting this other degree? And, and how did it start to connect some of the dots that you'd seen in some of your students and maybe yourself, too? I think it first started when we would look at case studies of students, uh, maybe students that were having some kind of issue that was being misdiagnosed as something, but was in fact a gifted ability. And we'd look at a case study and I think, oh my goodness, I had that kid five years ago. Um, when we started to look at the types of abilities that students have um, and creativity is in every single area, whether you have an intellectual gift or you have a, a gift to be a wonderful musician or you are a creative processor and thinker that it's across the board that you you're good at something you're extra good at something a few years ahead at least if you're very young and you've got that high potential for creativity wow so they both just meet there in giftedness and creativity um, and that doesn't seem to be dependent on a specific area of creativity or are there are there generalizations you can make about creativity and giftedness in terms of specific skills or areas of emphasis I mean, of course, some students have, or, or some individuals have specific creative abilities. Um, if that child is a, a ceramist and a potter, of course, that gift and that creative area is going to be very different from somebody that is a strings musician. Um, there are a variety of types of ways to identify children, and in Oklahoma, we can identify for an intellectual ability or a divergent ability, ability, and that would be in the fine arts area, in a specific academic area. Maybe they are just an outstanding young mathematician and they're innovating problems and solving things that people have been working on for years and aren't able to do. Or, um, and then in the creative areas, some of it really is just how their brains work when they address a, a problem or the way they think about the world around them. So a lot of times we can consider kind of a wagon wheel thought where it's kind of a, like a holistic type of thinking instead of a sequential thinker. Um, a lot of children who are on the autism spectrum are creative processors and thinkers because they view and take in the world around them vastly different than we do. That's all so fascinating to me. And as I'm listening, I'm, I'm processing and thinking about my own experience growing up. And, and, and I, you know, I may have tested for some giftedness and, and had some academic abilities, but I also have a, a really strong creative side. And I don't know that that was necessarily identified, you know, when I was in school. And the fact that there are, there's this program right here, and, and I'm sitting across from you right now and thinking, well, those two worlds colliding, it's validating for someone like me. That, that knows that, you know, I had a gift for, for words and um, numbers, you know, early on. But those, that, that intersection wasn't necessarily cultivated or recognized as such. And then came music also for me. So I have an ear for music that I really didn't know about. And I just kind of stumbled into it in my teenage years. And, and, and that wasn't incorporated into my education in a meaningful way. 
that I'm, I'm just hearing right now that you all are, are looking at those opportunities for students right now where those things may come together for them. Yeah. Um, one of the goals of a fine arts education is to expose children to a wide variety of the arts and help them find something that they can be passionate about and help them appreciate the arts of others in the world around them. Help them identify with symbolism and you know, gain visual literacy and music literacy. But in gifted education, the, we have the opportunity to design our programs around our children. Like the goal is not that we have a curriculum that fits all kids, because mm -hmm. that's never gonna happen for gifted. Each child is looked at as an individual. And you know, if you were in your regular ed class and you were falling a little bit behind in a subject, they work really hard to help you catch up. Well, while we don't want them to underachieve in gifted, and we will do that um, and help be an intervention, we look at what their highest strengths are and help continue to pull those up. I mean, if we have a middle schooler who has a high school, you know, senior level math ability, and we can help them start working on college level math problems, then fantastic. And research shows that it does help pull up any area that's a deficit. Um, you know, a gifted person's not a gifted person all the way around. I mean, I could be considered a gifted artist, and I think I'm pretty good with words and science, but I have deficits. Um, and I don't have to be fantastic at everything to be considered gifted. Um, we try to make sure our students know that, that help fight that underachievement, that imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. and all of those perfectionist traits that come along with somebody that's identified as a very high ability. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can relate to perfectionism from uh, probably about age five or six, <laughs> but certainly by middle school, that really showed up for me. And, and why I say me, I'm, I'm sharing my personal experience, but I'm sure many of our listeners who are tuning in, they can relate personally or maybe uh, their kids in their life or just those that they know. And so and teachers, you know, may be tuning into this as well. And so as I'm hearing, I'm, I'm saying, you know, uh, I'm seeing that in the curriculum, in the pedagogy, maybe of instruction, that playing to your strengths is, um, is encouraged. And as you said, research shows by, by further developing your strengths, it actually helps you in other areas of development as well. And I find that fascinating also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, at least they're more likely to study mm -hmm. in an area if if maybe they're not very interested in history, or if maybe they're not interested in reading, but they're very interested in, in building robots. Mm -hmm. well, let's get them reading about robots. Let's get them writing about robots and working as a team, and they're gonna start to gain those skills without realizing that they're studying so many areas of their education at one time. Mm -hmm. What a fantastic approach, and it's really becoming more and more student-centered, isn't it? It in really is. Individualized, and, and you mentioned the word holistic also. Yeah, so looking at the whole student and their specific situation, their specific skills, etc. Yes, and we also do a lot of focus on their social-emotional development. Mm -hmm is it is so important to com combat that perfectionism, mm -hmm. uh, give the kids coping skills, give the parents coping skills. Fighting that perfectionism and that fear of failure is gonna help keep kids in school. Uh, it's gonna help prevent underachievement, whether that happens when they're a child in education or when they're an adult and they, they decide to stop learning and stop growing. Yeah, 
Absolutely. So, and um, so in, in terms of your passion, shifting gears just a little bit, uh, you know, metallurgy came up early on, and I'm thinking fire and molten metal. That's pretty exciting. And then, um, and then your your interest early on, an, an art teacher, if I remember right, inspired you, your love of art and yes. your understanding of the world. So, if you would tell tell us a little bit more about. I guess the earlier experience, which would be that first teacher that inspired you. What what happened with that teacher and how did that affect you? She was all around fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really able to start to learn who I was, and, which I guess everyone does in 10th, 11th, 12th grade, start to kind of discover who you are and um, who you are as an individual outside of groups and friends and peers. Uh, but one time specifically, we were working with Sterling Silver and it wasn't a I didn't have a very creative project I think I was doing a cherry I I think I know I was doing a cherry because I still have it Um, and I cut it out of silver with a little saw and I bent that little top piece so it could hang and I got to solder it on with a small torch and a little chip of of solder and that was so cool like I got to use fire I got to use fire at school I got to use fire she didn't hold my hand while I did it Mm. like I got to make this. Um, I later went through my career a few years because I kind of bounced around a little bit in budget cuts, things like that, moving around. Um, I made it to where I spent most of my time teaching, which was Westmore, and um, I was getting, I had the opportunity to teach 3D arts, and part of that program was metalsmithing. There's not very many schools in the metro that even offer like a full metalsmithing program. And a lot of my tools, I mean, I was at the level at Westmore as as we built things up as some of our universities. And um, I had to develop my skills more because that was not my degree area. I was a 2D artist up until then and uh, taught students how to saw out little pieces with the positive space and the negative space and use the drills and use torches to soften the metal or solder little chips together, make rings, make tons of math skills, trying to figure out your ring size and the thickness of the metal and how it changes. And is it going to shrink or is it going to expand depending on if, how you're hammering or heating the piece of metal? And I started to watch um, the girls specifically when they would work on their pieces, a lot of times they wanted supervision and everything was completely safe and in place. I mean, it wasn't a safety issue that I wasn't hand on hand or that I could step away a few feet. Uh, It was very clearly set up. Everything was fine. Uh, I wanted them to work independently. It's very important that you gain those skills and it's intuitive. It's kind of when you're planishing metal which is hammering little dents in it you have to hear it and you have to see it and you have to feel it and a teacher cannot do that for you can't teach it you have to facilitate it mm-hmm. so you have to guide a student to their own conclusions and as they would get a little bit better they'd do their first little ring and then they'd have to do a couple solder joints and they'd have to be different types of metals and levels and the intensity of the project would increase as years go on, um, one of my favorite projects is to teach them to make a globe that had, it was a domed locket, it was a globe that had a hinge and a clasp, which was very difficult to do something in a sphere. And they'd finally, 
it would click and they'd have it. But this whole time you could just watch these students grow as powerful individuals. I mean, just like they almost got bigger. Mm-hmm. Like they were able to do uh, these traditional male tools in a traditional male art form. I mean, there's not a lot of female jewelers and sculptors and metalsmiths that are out at the forefront because it it is a male-dominated area. Welding is a male-dominated area. Um, And these girls would just start to grow. And I would watch it in their eyes and just, I was so inspired. Sometimes I'd get a little, like, misty and need to back off for a second because Mm -hmm. it was just overwhelming what they were what they were doing and who they were feeling about themselves. You could watch this shy little girl just grow and be loud, just almost have to tell her to quiet down by the end of the year. Uh, and transitioning those skills to things like glasswork. Um, I have a student who I'm thinking of who will probably hear this, but she's one of my favorite people, so that's fine. I won't use her name. She made the most amazing collage out of pennies that she melted glass on top of and not only was she using all these skills she had learned to fuse glass enamel to a metal surface but she had to work through what years of pennies could even work because some of them um, have nickel inside or aluminum I don't remember and they dissolve so it had to be certain years Mm. and she would go get rolls of pennies we'd all bring in in our change and she'd just be sorting And she made this amazing thing. And I watched her confidence and kind of her self-image just grow and blossom. So I'm still so proud of her. Um, Not long ago, another student, um, and she'd had a few struggles with her family. And I could tell that she did lack kind of a little bit of internal things. And we're still in touch. Uh, is starting her own online store and she's doing crafting things but she's still using those kind of male-dominated tools and etching. I've had students message me and let me know that they bought Ikea furniture because they are a grown-up now and they put it together themselves and they knew how to use a power drill because they used it in my class. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it just translates teaching kids to work with their hands and to be self-sufficient. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a powerful story. All of those stories linked together. And so the original question, you know, some of the passion, where does your passion come from? It's so obvious, you know, that your passion lies in empowering young people, children and young people through the arts, through gifted education. And these specific examples where young girls are growing in confidence, they're finding their voice, they're learning that they're able to do things that are outside the quote unquote norm that have, have traditionally been uh, viewed as male-dominated industries, for example. And, and they're continuing to do this in their young adult lives, you know? And so this is working, you know, is what, is what I'm hearing. These are success stories. And what I love uh, about what you're sharing with us right now is that your students are staying in touch with you. And I know not all do, you know, but, but some of your students are staying in touch with you and they're letting you know mm-hmm. that they're buying the piece together yourself furniture because they know how and they have a sense of capacity or ability to do that. And so in looking at those success stories, especially in the young adult years, after they've gone through school, how do you feel about that? What, what thoughts and feelings does that bring to your mind? 
first of all, they stay in touch because they've been threatened because they oh. were my children the moment they walked <laughs> into my classroom and they will always be my children. I get it. No matter what they need, whether they need advice on filing their taxes for the first time or they don't know how to boil water, call me because I'm your extra mom. Um, I got called mom for a few years and, and some of the other teachers thought it was weird, but I loved it. Mm -hmm. um, back to that question. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> oh, no. So your thoughts and feelings about when these students, you know, they've gone through school, they've graduated, and then they're continuing to use these skills or these understandings that they've gained as a result of, of working with you or being in your class. Yeah, what are your thoughts, what are your feelings about, uh, about that coming full circle? Well, I mean, for me, it's wonderful, but for the students in general, I think we need to do a lot more to teach kids to work with their hands still and to be self-sufficient and to fix things instead of throwing something away. Um, if a kid has used tools and I would show them how to find a tutorial, maybe the way I do something, throwing on the wheel, maybe the way I do it is not the way that's going to work for you because I'm five foot two and you're six foot tall. It's just not going to work. Mm -hmm. So here's find resources and cool, good information from the Internet. And, you know, if a kid can use a tutorial and the skills they learned in my classroom with tools and they can replace their garbage disposal or change their tire or fix a piece of furniture, then that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. On the art side of it, if they can continue to express themselves, whether they want to be an artist or not, if, if art's the last thing on their mind, but they need an outlet that they understand how to, you know, go out and find those materials and to make something. I've had students send me pictures where they decorated their baby's room and they've, you know, done a big painting of the baby's name with you know, things behind it or uh, every now and then I get a message from a student or or teachers that I worked with but not art teachers just teachers uh, that they want to do something they saw this really cool project where do I get these materials and I'm more than happy to be like get a coupon and here's this and go to this website and it's going to be wonderful have so much fun send me pictures when you're done yeah uh, and and I think it just, it continues on. And these, when the students have grown up, a lot of my students have, former students have children that are my children's age. Um, and, you know, if I taught them how to do something that was meaningful, whether that was just painting, and now they can sit down and paint with their kids, they, they know where to get things, and they also know the safe use of things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a lot of materials that we thought were very safe when you and I were in school, like rubber cement, which we know now is no. Not so much. <laughs> not Yeah, not safe at all. So if they, they know how to care for items and use them around their children or as a Sunday school teacher or a substitute, I've got a few kids who are going into art education. So it's, mm -hmm. it's really inspiring to me. Um, yeah. I love just sitting back and watching them. Mm -hmm. That is really empowering. And I know that's a word that you've used. I'm not sure in our, I think maybe in our conversation now, but in our dialogue back and forth before our interview, you know, empowering, yeah, it was in your bio, empowering young people. And so hovering on that idea of empowerment, you've hit it from different areas. What is it about, you know, self-sufficiency and, and problem solving and, and this idea of not wasting you know, things that you don't need to waste? What, what is it about empowerment that is, is so important to you? on a personal or professional level? Um, 
A word I learned maybe five years ago was Mm self-efficacy. And I loved it. It's that internal feeling of yourself and your motivation and everything all wrapped up together. And so along with your impact that you've had on students, which these are wonderful examples, what about the impact that, that you or your office has on teachers in the district? What kind of impact are, are you seeing and, and uh, helping to form teachers or inform teachers through this office? Uh, through my office, I mostly uh, provide professional development for my gifted instructors and mm-hmm. my visual art instructors. Mm-hmm. We have amazing district chairs. Uh, yeah. We've got some really fantastic ones. You interviewed Levi mm-hmm. for orchestra. Yeah. Uh, your wife is one. She is too, yeah. She uh, helps make the show go for all of the elementary music teachers. And so they're able to work with their teams. I like to think of myself as kind of like the teacher's backup dancer. I'm the hype man behind the scenes that's like, I'm going to find you some money and you're going to do great things. And I'm going to write this grant and I'm going to come see you in action. Since I don't get to work with students very often, mm-hmm. I do sneak into their classes and I like to sneak into visual arts so that way you can touch the clay. Uh, but <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't get to work with the students, but I do get to see the amazing things that teachers can do when given the right resources and the right training. Um, we're working on right now, um, we have a huge grant that through the Arts Council, mm-hmm. and we are going to work with a local business tailor foam, and students are going to learn about they're going to study their personal identity and their community identities mm-hmm. while working in 3D carving and get to create uh, an individual identity project. And then they're going to work together and use special tools of the trade, the big machining cutters to make six foot tall sculptures. I'm not 100% sure that I even understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to make large works that represent their total school identity, who they want to be as a group. So. Uh, I just, I just get really inspired by the kids. Oh yeah. And the teachers, um, we're, we're I don't know we're just working on so many things. It's hard to think of. Yeah. With our theater group, um, we're working on diverse ability inclusion. Mm-hmm. So kids with special needs or physical needs, or students that are deaf and hard of hearing or visually impaired, getting them on the stage and getting them in the shows. Now, that's not something I can facilitate. I can't teach my teacher sign language. I um, have no clue on how to run the sound or the lights or anything, but I can find the right people, and I can find the right resources, and I can get those in their hands, and I can find time for them to get together and plan. And this is a goal that they came up with. Um, I love to let the teachers as a group in their teams, uh, you know, they need, they know what they need. Mm-hmm. They know what the district needs. They know what their students need. And if whatever we need to do to help those programs grow. Then you're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yep. I get that sense very clearly. Yeah. So you're a champion for, for teachers is one way of saying it. You, I would love to be. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's the sense that I get. And, and I know a little bit about your reputation. It's very positive out there. And so, um, as you know, as a fan of teachers, I'm a teacher of sorts myself. I was in the classroom as a TA and a mentor and after school program. And, and I've done some work in the church as, you know, with development of youth and things. And I've been in those roles. So 
I recognize the passion that a, that a teacher has. And then when you have a champion, one who knows what teaching is and has been there, done that, and then works to empower and lift up uh, other teachers, whether that's through financial resources, trusting them with their own expertise, uh, helping to facilitate their own ideas and make them happen, creating space for them, all these examples that you've given. What a gift that is to the entire district. I mean, that's affecting dozens of teachers and hundreds and thousands of young people's lives. So you're having a tremendous impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I used to have about 150 students at a time. You know, we'll change classes sometimes in, in December. But now, I mean, Putnam City has almost, give or take, 19,500 students. Mm. And working through visual arts, I mean, every single one of those kids is my kid. Mm -hmm. And I, it is my responsibility to make sure that they have a wonderful program and that their teacher has what they need to be able to develop that program. Mm -hmm. And on, on social media this week, I, um, at the time of this interview, I threw a link out there from, it was an article from the Oklahoman from last year. And, and I won't dive into the content of that article, but it was filled with amazing stuff, uh, quotes from you and about how uh, the Putnam City School District is, is actually building the arts and trying to uh, expand and extend its reach with the arts. Um, whether that's music or fine arts and gifted programs, et cetera. Um, how is that continuing this year? What are some other, you mentioned one of the, the new programs, a partnership with these kids. They're going to be working around identity. Are you kidding me? That's my favorite topic ever. So, um, but what are some other, you know, projects or programs that have, that have started up along these lines? This year we've been able to increase staffing a little bit. Um, we added a another gifted instructor but in fine arts we were able to add um, another orchestra person and so we're making sure that more students have access I know we stretch ourselves very thin and we all work very very hard yeah. um, but Putnam City believes in the quality of the education and you can't ask people to just continually do more without providing resources and that is that resource needs to be another individual um, we've we're doing the big project uh, that was through a grant and so next year I hope to renew that grant mm -hmm. and extend it to other high schools and middle schools and I'll just track my way down until everybody gets to carve. Uh, I think that's our growth. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's and that's significant growth in, in through one lens in where other school districts, unfortunately, uh, are cutting programs and whether they're required to or the pressures are just so tight, the financial constraints or just the perception of of art and, and gifted programs and what those mean to young people's lives. Um, this is an unscripted question, but for, for those districts that maybe could be doing more with their arts and gifted programs and they're not, what might you say to them if you had the opportunity to, to talk with them about these programs? A lot of it should start with talking to your parents in your community yeah and what do they want mm -hmm. what do they what do you need um if you have multifacet areas of of the visual arts or of sorry of the fine arts uh, if you have a strong visual arts program but you're not offering strings um, you have a strong band program but you're not offering a choir there's a lot of avenues to look for and when you are hiring staff for that, make sure that you are hiring the best. 
talk to the teachers that you already have. Mm-hmm. Talk to your directors and your, your other teachers and mentors. Talk to other people around the area. Um, you're going to find, if you find an amazing person, they're going to stay and they're going to build a program. And I have seen fine arts people build programs from dust and $5. Like there's a joke that went around Facebook that said, you know, athletics gets a billion dollars, fine, you know, art gets $5 and a peanut butter and jelly or something. And I've been in that spot. I, my very first, I spent a semester teaching outside of public school and um, I had $500 to start a program for an entire school that was all middle and high school. That was my whole budget for the entire year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that wouldn't cover paper and pencils, let alone actually creating something in the arts. So listening to the experts. I am also a huge advocate of fine arts local organizations. So. I'm the Western Vice President for the Oklahoma Art Education Association, so I will, I'm in charge of conference for the next couple of years. I do my best with the budget that I'm given here to distribute that to teachers. New teachers get, they go to conference. I want them there. I want them to meet with other people in their area that don't work in this district because mm-hmm. then they have valuable resources. If areas that didn't have um, that don't have programs or don't have very strong programs or are looking for a reason to reallocate some money to hire another teacher, if they attend those conferences, I think they would immediately see the value of the arts and what those teachers are actually doing. Mm-hmm. Um, visit other districts. I Anytime I had a, a visitor that wanted to come see my classroom and, and watch the students, you know, assuming we could get it approved, welcome. I always had college students in the classroom watching what we were doing. I wouldn't mind if this superintendent or the principal of somewhere else came in to observe. That would be wonderful, especially if it brought access to their children. Yeah. Those are all, I think that's at least like six great tips, all very positive, you know, because I wasn't trying to ask a loaded question, but it was really in the lines for um, advocacy and, and positive uh, tips and ideas and, and which you provided. And so I know I'll speak to to my wife, uh, Christy Gossett, who's the music teacher at Western Oaks Elementary. She regularly has college students. In fact, as again, at the time of this interview, she has students from a local university who are coming in in groups and they're actually on the level of the children, you know, with first, second, third graders and and uh, end up elementary kids participating in their music education, their activities, hands-on, and then they're getting that theoretical training and then the mentorship piece too, all together in groups with a professor from that university in with those groups. So, I mean, these training opportunities are available. Uh, From what I'm hearing, even in districts where maybe the arts aren't thriving or maybe they don't even exist at this point, there are some creative ways, no pun intended, to, to work with your local community and maybe even across district um, and contact other folks that are in um, districts that have arts and gifted programs. And guess what? You know, teachers want to help other teachers more often than not. So great tips there. Thank you. Yeah. So um, I wanted to go in another direction too, and you can choose what you want to cover as well. I want to make sure we get uh, everything that uh, that you had in mind to cover. But on a, on a personal level, 
uh, what kind of art, if you have time for art at this point in your life, what kind of art have you done recently? What, what are your interests? What do you hope to do um, in the near future with art? Well, uh, recently I haven't made too much art. Yeah. I had a giant studio in my classroom at Westmore. I have a small home, so it was about the size of my house. And I had access to everything, and I worked with my students. So demoing kind of fulfilled that soul of an artist where I was making and creating things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most recently, it's been working with my own children. I have a 6-year-old and a 12-year-old. And so we draw and we paint. Uh, we do a lot of clay. It, it never gets fired. I'd have to bribe an art teacher probably. Um, but we also just demoed at the state fair. My kids and I sat around and demoed and helped kids. And then clay was heavy, so there's some lucky child. I didn't get her name. Um, I gave her all of the rest of my clay. Wow. So I didn't have to carry it to the car. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what a memory for her. Yeah. Uh, I really miss working in metals, mm-hmm. and so I hope to um, invade my husband's space a little bit out in the garage and yeah. kind of create my own little working area. I have some a, a piece up here I can show you. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to get to see this piece, and, and maybe we can get a picture of it. I don't know, but I definitely get to see it, so I'm excited about that. Um, well, good. So, yeah, I would imagine that, you know, with with the workload here, and, and a job that you love, of course, but that it's probably pretty heavy. And, and this time of year, um, we discussed it just briefly at the beginning, but this is t- test one of the testing seasons mm-hmm. right now. So a, a big part of your job right now, and probably a majority of it, is is, deal- is looking at tests and, and, and working through those. Uh, that is at the beginning. Uh, it's not all about the test for the kids, though. Yeah. Uh, This is just one way that we can find students that need their gifted services. Mm -hmm. And it is the quickest quantitative way to get them. And there are other ways, uh, looking at the whole child, that we can evaluate them for placement, Mm -hmm. um, such as the divergent abilities. Uh, But pretty soon it'll start to settle down on the gifted side and it'll be art time. And it seems like right when we start to hit middle end of October, it's time to travel around the district and spend time with my fine arts teachers and go to holiday concerts and watch rehearsals. And um, it gets really exciting. That's fun stuff. And I know it, it all works together. You know, there's there's really no separation in terms of uh, of this office and your holistic view that I've picked up on. You've mentioned that word once or twice and and how these programs really work together. The creative side of us and the gifted side of us uh, can really work in harmony. And again, that message, maybe we can look at that for another minute or two. Um, I know growing up, that that was not common language. You know, it was about academic achievement. It was A, B, C, D, F, you know, type of system. And, and, uh, and then there were the California achievement tests, you know, in my... Yeah. In my a Baloo is a bear. A Yonker is a young man. I can still <laughs> remember these prompts, right? So, um, it, but there's there's a variety of other assessments and tools that you have. And so I have this wondering question that I'm working on. But um, with, with the language that's being used and the way that education is happening now, um, 
I don't know, what, what does this mean, I guess, to the overall education of young people that, that, that they're having access to, to what you're helping to provide? I think the overall benefit, I mean, and not just to the children that are in those gifted classes mm-hmm. or in those fine arts classes, that's a benefit. An arts class is a benefit to the school, is a benefit to the district, is yeah. a benefit to the community. Yeah. Uh, but gifted, those instructors, my specialists work with their sites as well. Uh, and they are a resource for other teachers to differentiate, which is hmm. uh, differentiation is, is the buzzword hmm. of twenty, the whole end of the 2010s probably, um, that we're looking at making things specific to the child separating things out, whether that's tiered lesson planning and and cluster grouping or uh, just sometimes it's as simple as allowing children to select their exit point for a unit, whether that's a written presentation or a drawn and narrated storyboard. You might get the same, you're going to know that that child got that information, but they're going to produce it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so my specialists have a lot of resources that they can provide to the teachers in their buildings. Um, and looking at how children are accessing information and how they're retaining that and retaining it in a meaningful way where they're able to generalize it across subjects and to new generalize that information to you know process new information in the future um, not just retain as in memorize mm-hmm. that's that's the lowest thing that uh, you know you can learn um, being able to access and generalize and retain and all of that uh, that information it's going to help the kids throughout the rest of their education and into college and, and into their life because they're able to learn specific items that are of interest to them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the points that I picked up on was meaningful, you know, that they can remember uh, their educational experiences in meaningful ways. And I love that word for different reasons, but to interpret something, to make sense out of something, to, to remember something in context and apply it in another way which is more of this like experiential and uh, integrated learning approach, which to me is new. You know, I know that UCO is doing a lot of that type of education with their transformative learning model and, and that it's not just about memorization anymore. So for those that are listening, that maybe didn't know this, it's not all rote. It's not all, you know, just remember what you need to know for the test and then flush it afterwards, which still happens some. But it's more about who you are. You know, it's, it's this individualized instruction and finding out what makes you tick and what you're passionate about and what your strengths are and then helping to play to all of that uh, in the best way possible for your overall education. I agree. Yeah. So that's good stuff. All right. Well, we're about at the end of our time. Is there anything else that you wanted to just let us know about uh, the work that you do or you know, just what gets you excited about coming into work every day? Uh, well, there's a coffee maker, and I can go to the bathroom whenever I want, which I did not get to do in the classroom. What? So I feel like I am on some kind of special pedestal still, even though this is the start of my third year. Uh, no, <laughs> I am excited every day to come in because I, I usually have a text from a teacher in the morning that 
they're just super excited about sometimes it's not exciting mm-hmm. yeah. but they're really excited or hey remember we've got this show tonight or cause mm-hmm. they, they have to remind me because there's too many things but oh, um, yeah. you know I'm like oh wait I, I get to go we just last week had um, the a strings performance and so I that was fantastic I hadn't been able to make it to that specific concert before um, or I wake up and think, oh, they're swapping the artwork in the admin building halls in the superintendent's gallery. I get new work. I'm going to take pictures of it. Yeah. And I'm going to I'm going to take selfies with the really funny ones by the little bitty kids because those are my favorite and send those to my friends. Um, <laughs> or, you know, even better if it's a day where I've been able to schedule and to go out to one of the sites. Mm-hmm. Um, I did learn not to go to marching band rehearsals at PC North because he makes me climb up on top of the tower thing, and I don't like that. Just kidding. Um, wear heels so Dane can't make me go up high. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And do you have to help lead? Are you trying to stay oh, in time and conduct? Absolutely not. I can't clap with the beat. Okay. I I lack a lot of skills. I know I'm really good at some things, and I'm really bad at other things. Uh, music is one of those. I love listening to it, but I don't know the first thing. Uh, but that is why I we have such amazing teachers. Mm-hmm. And I think being able to say, I don't know. I want to learn. I want to learn from my teachers because mm-hmm. I think that they're the best. Um, but being able to say as the person that's like the faux director, um, I don't know. Show me. Mm-hmm. I trust you to know that you're doing your job to the best of your ability. Yeah. And it, it seems like every it sounds good. Mm-hmm. Same way that you know a band director might be like that. Painting looks great, but they they don't see the brushstrokes and mm-hmm. conservation of motion and all of these things we intuitively know to look for. Um, I think that's really important for anyone that's in a leadership position. Mm-hmm. Just be able to say I don't know, and I am very willing to learn, and I trust you to do your job. Yeah, that's so powerful. I think that's a good place to leave it. Brandy, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I can't wait to look at your art that you're going to show me in just a minute. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Live Your Purpose podcast. I hope you've been inspired by my conversation with today's guest. If you like what you hear, please share with your social networks and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. To learn more about the life coaching, public speaking, and retreat services that I offer, visit fullintegrationcoaching.com. And you can follow along with me on Facebook and Instagram at Full Integration Coaching. Until next time, remember... You are meant to live on purpose. Start living yours today.